Hey, it's Whisper, trying as ever to put my thoughts together into some sort of cohesive whole. Pause for laughter at the use of the word whole. How is everyone doing? Hope you're all enjoying your Pride Month. If you're queer, if you're straight, I hope you're incredibly jealous that we get a whole month. I mean, where's the straight Pride Month? Am I right, guys? I don't know. I, I've been, when I wake up in the morning and I'm like getting things together and I'm making, you know, I'm, I'm showering, I'm, I'm uh, brushing my teeth, I'm making breakfast, I'm eating breakfast. The past week, especially, I've kind of just been like, you know, like a perfectly sane person just talking to myself, which happens once in a blue moon or just build and build and build over a few days. I'll keep talking to myself and reiterating the same idea until it gets refined down to something that's still unintelligible, but, you know, less unintelligible than it was when it started. <laughs> I, uh, I put together every almost every year for the past few years, I kind of put together a little like pride playlist, you know, a little silly, goofy thing where it's like a song a day and blah, 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 blah. One that's always been on it ever since it was recommended to me by a friend whenever I was asking for suggestions is a song called Black Tie by Grace Petrie. It's very cute. It's very sweet, very heartfelt, kind of has some humor to it. It's very much got this hopeful aspirational note at the end where it's kind of talking about like, you know, they're talking to their past self who was struggling with their identity in high school and can't see it getting any better. And they're, you know, like they're like, uh, things will get better. You will love and you'll be loved. You'll meet someone who's waiting to hear this song. Things like that. It's really sweet. There's not like a butt to that. It, it, it's really, it's a really good song. And it's, it's, I'm glad that there are songs like that for younger people who are queer, not young queers, because I am technically a young queer in the grand scheme of things. I didn't identify as non-binary until 2020 or pan, you know, or, or anything else. Um, for those who don't know, hi, I'm Whisper. I'm uh, non-binary because I'm too lazy for gender, to, to care about gender, and I'm pan because I don't know, I keep finding people I like or who I think are hot that don't line up with what I thought I was. So I'm just like, okay, I don't have any way to classify this. So pan makes sense. If I like you, I like you. That's how it works. I also have a lot of other ideas and views on things that kind of tie into queerness and how it exists in the world. And the past few days, it's really gotten to me because for younger people who are queer, I fully support trying to create as supportive and positive and you're going to be okay. Everything's going to be okay. Just keep going kind of atmosphere for them because I mean, it's an incredibly turbulent time of their life. There's a lot of stress. There's a lot of, I mean, a lot of them are still dependent on parents for things. So they have to worry about that becoming an issue if they come out. Uh, I mean, yes, I think that kind of that level of positivity is extremely important and that level of support and like, you know, you're so valid, blah, blah, blah. That's good. 
what gets to me, and maybe it's because of other things in my head where I don't like, I don't trust or, or I don't vibe with like unconditional compliments or, or approval or love, is once people get to adulthood, which isn't just like, you know, sharply at, you know, age 18, it cuts out or something like not, not like that. Uh, adulthood meaning emotional, financial, et cetera, maturity, um, Basically, if you've ever had, once you find out what the real world, quote unquote, is like, when you have to pay bills, when you have to live and exist on your own, when you have to find out, uh, when you really find out what the struggles are that you will be facing for the rest of your life. At that point, for me, and this is just for me, I'm not looking down on anyone else who doesn't feel this way. This is just me, okay? It can start to get grating. Because frequently with that kind of overflowing positivity comes this aspirational view of queerness that we're going to make this world accept us. They're going to realize that we are normal. We're not weird. And I disagree. <laughs> not in the sense that like normal everyday people interpersonally are, are not currently coming around to us as as human beings as you know one-to-one -one relationships but we're absolutely weird like yeah at, at the societal level and this isn't a bad thing bad you know i'm not putting a value judgment on weird in fact i'm saying it's good but and not just in like a cutesy like teehee we're so weird we're not like the other people we don't fit into existing paradigms we are a rejection of those societal paradigms. And that's good. That's fine. That, that I'll explain, you know, as I kind of go along, like why that's a good thing. But the problem, the wall I hit, because when I view this through the lens of, of the other ways that I view the world, society, and I'm going to be using that word a lot, uh, society or the system as it stands, because I'm trying to avoid certain words that cause people to immediately tune out either because they're like, oh, this again, or because they're like, oh, I already know all this. I can ignore it. The system as it stands, TM, is not compatible with us. It's not designed to accommodate us, and it can't be made to, period. That's not to say it's doom and gloom and that we're fucked forever or anything, but like this thing that we live in isn't made for us, and it can't be. There's a good reason why queer people can't be accommodated in this system. It is because our very existence is a threat to the foundations of that system. It, it can't rationalize us because so many of the premises on which the system is based are, are built around ideas of, you've heard the phrases before, patriarchal, heteronormative relationships. But I feel like we always say those things and we never really go into what those mean. We just kind of take it for granted. So I kind of want to explain what that means. The system in which we live is designed for the propagation and reproduction of wealth and the reinforcement of hierarchies and property relations. Historically, whether it be kings or feudal lords or industrialists or modern tech bros, the biggest, most important facet of the way that the system works it is the transfer of wealth. You spend your whole life accruing the, this massive hoard of ill-gotten gain from exploitation and from, you know, 
the manipulation of, of, of imaginary magic numbers, essentially, of arbitrarily assigning values to shiny rocks and then deciding that those are immutable aspects of the world. You spend your whole life doing these things, but you're still mortal, which is also why a lot of tech bros lately have really been pushing hard into trying to find ways around that. Some have a degree of vanity to which one of their biggest pet projects is ensuring that their name lives on forever, that they are immortalized in that way. But there is also the ever-present need to retain your wealth. You have to produce offspring to which to pass on your wealth. The so-called nuclear family, though it existed long before the atomic age, was premised on this idea. It was an idea in which you would generate wealth and then you would pass it on to your eldest son. That part's kind of been allowed to bend a little bit in recent years, but mostly, yeah, it was the eldest son. And he would then continue to accrue based on that. I mean, think of any billionaire you know. Really look into their backstory, because I know some of them have these sort of mythological versions of their history where they're like, oh, we built this in my garage. And they don't tell you that like it was the garage of a multi-million dollar home. It's all been built on existing wealth. That's the cornerstone of this system and why this system prefers family relations that reproduce, that produce offspring that can inherit wealth. Inheritance is a huge thing. Additionally, the structuring of that system of, of being able to reproduce uh, generally has historically implied uh, a cis man and a cis woman. And on top of that, there had to be a way of structuring who would be in charge in that relationship. And men got there first. So they decided they would be the ones in charge. In some societies, it was not so. To be clear, I am generalizing here because that's the Western world and we've kind of exported that everywhere. But like there were places where that was not the case historically. Just covering my bases there. If you have two men... <laughs> this sounds so silly. If you have two men, then who's going to be the one in charge and who's going to be the one who raises the kids so that they can receive the wealth you made? <gasps> if you have two women, who's going to make all the money to pass on to the kids? Oh, oh no. But literally, oh no. Like that's that's cataclysmic. You're you're destroying a fundamental aspect of this system. And that has been those relations uh, have been reproduced and, and expanded and socially justified in other ways, in ideologies, uh, religious, social, every kind of ideology you can imagine, philosophical. I mean, it, it, the list goes on. They've all been reinforced. I mean, every major religious, or social, or philosophical movement in the Western world since the rise of the system in which we live, or that coincided with it, prioritized these relations. Easiest example, um, Protestantism. Not just the weird kind you get in America, but Protestantism as a whole prioritized the so-called work ethic and the idea of producing families that could then carry on either the work you did or the wealth you made. And they codified that into religious law. They interpreted scriptures and, and, and religious texts and historical documents as meaning that this was the correct way. And it reinforced the political and economic systems in which Protestantism arose conveniently because Protestantism was allowed to rise in those systems because it reinforced and reproduced them. Like, you know... You'll succeed if what you make is useful. Same thing goes for religions and for philosophies and for social movements. You'll fail if you're weird. Or at least you will have a very hard time of it. Queerness upends all that. 
queerness breaks those things down. Hell, even the more contentious areas of what is classified as queer, things like polyamory and things of that sort, they represent a rejection of that binary man and woman couple. Like, how do you determine wealth and property relations when you have more than one partner? How do you determine who is the eldest son when you have more than one partner if you go into a marriage that way? Uh, you know, I'm not asking these questions. I'm saying, like, that's the questions that are posed to it. That upends a lot of things upon which our systems are based. They don't work, they break, they scare the system. And there is nothing scarier to a system that has been chugging away doing its thing for centuries than the idea of change. That scares stockholders, both literal and figurative. Queerness can't be incorporated into a system premised on cis heteronormative relationships. It can't be. There is no way to do that. The only way we can imagine that working is if we ignore the rest of that system and just like, uh, it's like really shitty world building. <laughs> it's like, okay, it's just like our world, except queerness has always been accepted and normal and no one has a problem with it at all. It's like, okay, but how? Because <laughs> that would mean so much stuff had to change to make that happen. There are so many other things you would have to modify. It would be like saying, okay, I want my car to only have three wheels and you just take a wheel off and don't make any other changes. Like you're not gonna get very far in that car. <laughs> Congrats, you've got three wheels now. It doesn't work though. You haven't adjusted anything else about the car to make it function with only three wheels. It's just, someone stole your wheel. Other groups of people also cannot be. They, they have to be below. They have to be at the bottom of a rigid hierarchy that requires their exploitation, that requires their suffering, because there always has to be a group that can be exploited. This system relies on, I mean, the core foundational principle of the system is screwing someone over. You know, how do you get a good deal on a product that you're buying? You pay less than what it's worth. You screw over the person selling it to you, or they allow themselves to be screwed over, either for long-term gains or just because they're not very good at selling things. How do you make a good profit on an item? You charge more for it than what it costs for you to make it or buy it. You screw the person over who is buying it from you. How do you employ someone? Well, you have to pay them less than what they make for you, or else it's not profitable to employ them, and you will, assuming you are following the, the orthodoxy of market logic, you will not be able to employ them. You have to make more on them than what they make for you. You have to screw them over. That's the bedrock. That and property relations. Those two things... You can't have what we have without them. There always has to be a group that can be screwed over. And even if the system loosens the reins a little bit, even if it says, okay, we will give you a little bit less exploitation. We will embrace some minor form of social change. We will legalize your existence. For queer people, we will stop medicalizing you or treating illnesses that predominantly affect your community as divine intervention. If the state allows you to be you, it will still never give you the full rights and benefits of living in it the way it has given other people. Because if no one was exploited, you would have no employees, you would have no profitable exchanges, it wouldn't work. And that's not good. <laughs> that is not to say this is natural. That is not to say this is, this is a, a natural thing that has to be the case. I'm simply saying that under this one, it has to be the case. You cannot have equality in the system. It is predicated on a lack of that. That is the only way it works. Someone has to get screwed over. There are other ways of building a society that do not predicate themselves on the exploitation of one or another group of people. 
We don't have that. Yet. <laughs> Wink. Any historically oppressed group, name anyone, and look at where they are now, even if they have been given, on paper, the de jure legal protections of everyone else. Their historical circumstances or the de facto social interactions with that group of people leave much to be desired. I mean, do you feel like you have much power over your life if you're not a straight cis white guy? Do you feel like you have much wealth to pass on to anyone? Do you feel like you really have a seat at the table no matter how many legal protections there are for your right to be there? No. You have the rights on paper, but that society, that, that system still needs you to get fucked over. And it's the same with queer people. And I recognize that's kind of depressing. <laughs> it's really depressing. Because it means that, no, we can't be normal. We don't get to have a seat. We're going to be screwed over. I feel like this is like the talk <laughs> that has to be had. You know, with, with, with queer people, once they go into adulthood, and most of it's stuff that they've already figured out for themselves at some level, but... It, it, it has to be, I think it has to be said, like, life is going to be hard. It is not going to be easy. I don't say that to say that you should give up or that you should pretend to be something that you aren't. Far from that, actually. I just feel like people should understand what this means to be this. Because the way things are, we cannot, full stop, be accommodated. And it doesn't matter how many times they tell you that you can be accommodated or pretend that you have just the same rights as anyone else under our good system, because we don't. They can, they can make as many um, you know, special queer products as they want. Raytheon and Lockheed Martin, two of the largest arms manufacturers in this country, can make their profile pictures rainbow for the fucking month. That doesn't change a damn thing. That does not change your social interactions with the world around you. That does not change your circumstances. That does not make you more comfortable in this world. It is giving you a placebo. It is trying to sell you something. They are trying to sell back to you yourself the very thing that they are exploiting to make the thing they're selling to you. So when people come to you and say like, oh... Of course, we're going to be able, we're going to be fine under the way things are. We don't need major change. Look, uh, McDonald's did a rainbow or something. I don't give a fuck if McDonald's says gay rights. I don't give a fuck if a company, if fucking Disney slips in a fucking lesbian kiss that can be easily edited out for foreign markets where such things are not allowed because, of course, they're not going to risk their bottom line over a bunch of queers. God forbid. No. They got to make sure they can cut that shit. You're never going to be part of the main production. And if you are, oh buddy, they are going to allow you to rot on the vine. They are going to make it the most annoying media spectacle to ensure that everyone who hates you will hate you more. And though I appreciate that there are some people who do take genuine satisfaction and joy from seeing representation of who they are on film, I also cannot help but imagine that who most queer people are is not profitable or acceptable to be shown on film to mass audiences. Are we ever going to actually get real representation? <laughs> like, really? I want representation in film. I want good representation in film. Here's the clincher. People are going to hate, hate representation of other groups of people on screen, no matter how mild or how corporate-friendly it is. 
So I don't just want the watered down, washed out version of representation. No, no, no. I want absolute representation. I want realistic. If they're going to be pissed off, piss them off. Make them angry. They're going to be mad no matter what. Which leads into another kind of issue with why we can't be accepted in society is they're going to be mad. No matter how shallow or artificial, uh, the more power that we are given in society to exist, even if it is, again, not nearly enough and does not actually satisfy basic needs most of the time, even if we are given the appearance of having any level of acceptance in society, we are going to be used as the patsies for when things go bad, because things in the system inevitably go bad. It is an accepted rule of economics. It is called the boom-bust cycle. In modern terms, there were older terms that originally were dismissed as bullshit until everyone realized that, yeah, uh, we do have a system of constant, repeated economic catastrophes because that's how this has to work. When things get bad for everyone because of the decisions of a select few shareholders and governments and whatever else at the top, the people who have most recently been given rights, who have most recently been given even a scrap of acceptance, are immediately blamed. Why? Because if there's not someone to blame, then questions start arising over why we should live under a system that constantly shits the bed and hurts millions of people who had no say in how it was run. Those questions can be harmful, especially if people from different groups and cultures start coming together and agreeing on an answer. That cannot be allowed. Which is why historically, power and authority have been doled out to certain groups over others to keep the others in line. Rich white guys realized they could give a little bit more power to poorer white guys, and in exchange, the poorer white guys would be so terrified of losing what little power they had that they would be content to kick down on anyone else. And so on and so forth down the line. When rich white women got a little bit of power too, they used the hell out of that. These structures that have been built, these systems of oppression that interlock, that are not exclusive that are not more important than one or another because they all come together to form a cohesive whole, these intersectional systems of oppression, if you will, ensure that the last group left holding you know, the hot potato are the ones who get screwed over. The people in charge have realized that it is easier to give the genuinely hurting people of our society a punching bag than it is to give them any sort of stability or support. Which is why now we're being swept up in groomer rhetoric. Ask your parents about satanic panic and heavy metal and how much they thought adults were stupid for calling heavy metal bands, uh, you know, Satanists or for calling or saying shit about gay people. You know, if, if you if you've got some Gen X or, Gen, or millennial people in your life who are now complaining about groomers, ask them about how gay people were treated in the 90s and 2000s or how uh, metal was treated in the 80s. It's, it's repeated. It's a cycle. Every time. And they use the same lines. Think about the children every time. Oh, the children. The children are fine. They're being more fucked up by the system that you're appealing to to outlaw gay people and trans people than they are by actual gay and trans people. 
you know how fucked kids are by now? I mean, iPad kids is kind of a funny meme, but like legit, there no healthy functioning society should so forcibly alienate parents from their children and children from other children that they are required to purchase an, an entertainment product to keep their kids from going even more insane and thus have the side effect of building a dependency on those products that is likely going to be studied more around the DSM-7 or 8, I'd imagine. That's more fucked than anything a trans person or a gay person does when it comes to kids. But what about, I heard this one gay or trans person was a bad person. Yeah, and I heard a dozen more straight people were too. Because there are tons more bad eggs in whatever group you're not complaining about. Queer people catch the brunt of it because A, we are a smaller, more easily targeted group of people. We are visible because we refuse to not be visible. And we are also a legitimate threat to the system. Like, there is truth in what they say, that we are dangerous, but not in the way that they think it or the way that they say it. We are a threat to the foundations of their system. We are a threat to the foundations of society as it stands. Not, not saying this as some cheeky little, uh, just being me is enough to take down the government. No, I mean, like, being you is a threat. It's not going to do anything on its own, but it is making you visible. So we're going to get the brunt of it. We're going to get fucked over. We're going to be targeted until we can get more and more people to see us as human beings, which is happening at a social level, not helped by mass media, which continues to make our very existence a question to be answered. No, no, no. By actually interacting with people, with human beings. My mother was fine with trans people for years. And then my brother came out. It caused a brief panic crisis. And then now she accepts trans people. She didn't hate them before. She was fine with them. She loved people who are trans. But when my brother, her child, came out as trans, when that interpersonal connection to a real queer person was made, when it became a very real part of her day-to-day -day life, that's when it became real enough to her to support trans people. Those kinds of connections are the things that are actually making the world better for us. It's also the issue that you see a lot of trying to appeal to more delicate sensibilities. If you guys would just shut up and stop being so weird and loud and vocal, they'd like us more. The, the, the Blair Whites of the world. If you just be a normal trans person, if you just medicalize yourself and declare your transness or your gayness as a, as a medical condition, instead of acting like it's something to be proud of, if you would just shut up, sit down, and be quiet, then they'll like us more. Right, because that's always been how it's worked in history, right? That's every time, you know, if, you, if you've appealed to your oppressor, they've always given you what you wanted, right? There was never any struggle required. There was never civil wars fought. There were never bricks hurled. There were never riots that were ruthlessly put down. No, no, no. You just politely appeal and they'll give you what you want. That's wrong. For anyone not able to pick up on sarcasm, uh, that's a tone indicator for you. That was sarcasm. <laughs> um, you cannot appeal to an oppressor who has always been oppressing you. They obviously don't care. <laughs> if they didn't care to not oppress you in the first place, what the fuck makes you think that you asking politely is going to make them change their mind? At best, they might pull the knife out, but they're not going to do anything to stop the bleeding. <laughs> you cannot appeal to a society that is fundamentally built on not having you exist. You cannot make yourself look better in order to make them like you more. There are some people in oppressed and marginalized communities who will appeal to the society as a whole and will get 
a special little seat at the table just for them, just so that they can stand there and point out everyone else that they don't like. You have your cis white gay guy with a nuclear family who is a CEO. You know, he's got two and a half kids and a dog. He's essentially indistinguishable from, you know, a guy from the 50s other than the fact that he's married to a guy. You know, your Pete Buttigieg's of the world who will gladly, as soon as they've gotten what they want personally, will pull the ladder up behind them to make sure that no one else gets to have any more. Because again, if you give too many people rights, if you take away too much of the exploitation, well, things start to not work so well for the system, don't they? You have a problem there. You don't get to have your treats anymore. You've got to get just enough rights for you to get your treats, and then you pull the ladder up, right? People like Blair White, who have to position themselves as the sane ones against these crazy trans kids and queer kids. These crazy people with their genders and their non-binaries and their, uh, don't they know I have a medical condition? It's not just gender being a completely bullshit concept. No, 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 gender is real and immutable and my brain is broken and that's why I'm trans. It can't just be that I want to live this way and that I'm more comfortable this way and that I, that should be respected. No, no, I have to medicalize myself and put myself down and then also put down anyone else who doesn't do what I do. I have to become the lapdog for every conservative online to say, see this? This is a good trans. We, we hope she doesn't make any more good trans, but, you know, she's a good trans and she'll tell you why the rest are bad and evil and coming for your kids. That's her role. That's those are the roles those people play. Every ex oppressed group has had those people in them. You can't appeal, so don't. Do not try to appeal to these people. I said it earlier, your existence is a rejection of the system. Your existence, loud and proud, is, well, not to put too fine a point on it, revolutionary. It's not going to be a revolution, but it is revolutionary in that it openly, loudly rejects the status quo, rejects the foundations of the system in which you live. You are basically saying, come and get me. And I think that needs to be understood because you are saying, come and get me. We all are. I'm not saying don't do it, not at all. But I am saying understand that because your existence is a threat to every aspect of this culture and society, that you existing loudly as who you are is dangerous. And I probably don't have to tell most of you people that this is the case. If you're queer, you're probably well aware. Even if you're not openly queer or your flavor of queerness is not something that can be easily spotted, it eventually comes for you too. Do what you have to do to survive. If you have to, if you have to pretend in order for your, for your interpersonal relationships in order to survive, do what you've got to do. But when it comes to your life as a whole, don't put yourself in the hole of trying to say, I guess I don't need to be queer. I guess I'll stop because people don't like that. No, be who you are. Be what you are. You'll love and you'll be loved by someone. It's going to be hard. Again, I'm kind of diving back into the language of this being, you know, the talk for someone. It's going to be hard. There's no denying that, whether legally or socially or with the burden of understanding that the only system you can imagine, because it is easier to imagine the death of the universe than it is to imagine the end of the status quo, shall we say, is not made for you. Something new has to take its place in order for the society to be yours. That can be tough to deal with. Find comfort in other people 
who are the same. Find comfort in people who aren't the same, but who care about you. We don't need or have to be an insular community. There are people who, even if they don't understand everything you go through, are willing to listen, are willing to help. And as a community, I mean, internally, queer people have historically built impressive systems to support one another. Uh, even back in the 60s and 70s, there were homes set up by queer people to make room for queer youths who had been kicked out for being what they were. Not for profit, just homes. I'm not talking charity. I mean, if charity, if, if some charity is able to give you what you need to survive, then yeah, take it, please. But I'm saying like mutual aid networks and the distinction between mutual aid and charity is an important one to work. Charity is something you just, you know, like, oh, here's five bucks. I feel bad for you. Mutual aid is saying I have something that I don't need. You have something that you don't need. You need something that I have. I need something that you have. Here you go. Or here's something that I don't need that you need. And if you ever have something that might help, I would, you know, just give it back. It's not trading. It's just seeing a need and filling a need. If you have the ability and someone else has the need, ahem. <laughs> I've seen people fundraise to support each other's surgeries and gender-affirming care. I've seen people fundraise to keep people housed and fed. I've seen people fundraise to help other people bring their cats to the vet online. My brother crowdfunded what he needed to be able to change his name legally. He wasn't like broke, like our parents support him and everything, but like, you know, money was tough and this was a thing people were willing to help with. They didn't expect anything in return. There wasn't like a return on investment to be made. People just saw that and were like, yeah, yeah, here's some, I don't need this, you can have it. Ta-da. Queer people take care of each other and queer people support each other. So it's going to be hard, but there are people who have also experienced how hard it is and are willing to help. I want to be optimistic and I want to tell you everything's going to be all right. I honestly can't say that with certainty, but no matter how it turns out, you're going to be supported. People will have your back and not just from the queer community. The queer community overlaps with so many other communities, people of color, disabled people, hell, even poor people who are white, like all of these different groups overlap. There very few people experience just a singular facet of oppression or exploitation. Frequently, there are overlaps. Struggles are shared. That help queer liberation has historically associated itself with other movements for liberation and sovereignty. We are historically tied with movements for racial equality, for women's rights, Hell, some of the earliest gay liberation marches and riots sported, this was in the 60s, before, you know, the rainbow flag was really popular or easy to get your hands on. They were waving North Vietnamese flags because they envisioned themselves as seeing the same kinds of oppression, ironically, under the same people as those over there trying to gain their own independence. That's real. <laughs> They were gay people waving the North Vietnamese flag because they didn't have a flag of their own yet and they felt a sense of solidarity and kinship with others fighting for their right to exist and their right to self-determination. We have always been mixed among these various groups and they amongst others and ourselves. You're going to find more support there, I think. And when your needs are taken care of, and I don't want to sound like I'm scheming or like I'm hoping for this or something, but like, once you see your needs taken care of by others and you see how hard it was for you to get 
your needs attended to compared to other people who don't deal with what you deal with. I kind of hope that you look at that and see how fucked it is. Not in a way that makes you give up hope or that makes you despair. I want you to get mad. I think we could all do with being a little angry. We are so incentivized and encouraged to view anger as negative, as bad, as just inherently, immutably bad. No. There are unhealthy ways to be angry. There are destructive ways to be angry, self-destructive ways to be angry. But anger itself is valid when you are faced with a situation of overwhelming odds and overwhelming injustice. You know, you know, if you tremble with indignation at every injustice, then you are a comrade of mine. <laughs> you should be angry. I'm angry. I'm constantly angry about this kind of shit. Anyone who experiences it should be. And I think it's more valuable and a better use of your time to be angry than to be despondent. To, to give up prematurely and say, well, never going to get better. We're screwed. I mean, look, I have major depression, which means, and that's not major. Like, it's major, man. I mean, like literally what it's, it's called is it's major depression, which means that like I'm probably never going to be rid of it. And it makes it extremely hard to plan for the future. I can barely plan a month out. And I'm talking about how we need to have hope for a better future that doesn't involve this system that puts us all down. I don't, at a personal level, have the means of envisioning what that would be like. I don't have any internal guarantee that I would see that before the end of my life. But the idea that it might come eventually gives me hope, and I think it should give you hope too. So be queer, hope for the future, and hope for a better tomorrow. Don't resign yourself to getting fucked over, and don't resign yourself to having to accept bullshit remedies from con artists trying to sell you on this false idea that the system can never be for you. It's not. It can't be. And that's a good thing. Because this system is only for, I mean really for, the worst people in the world. Everyone else is just living in it. Is benefiting from it to some degree. But the only ones it's really for are not people you should want to count yourself among. There's a concept um, that I think is helpful to queer people. And I think it's easier to swallow for us than for a lot of people who might, you know, clutch pearls at the name of it because historically queer people have a pretty dark sense of humor, honestly. Like there's very good like horror writing written by queer people just because we have to face a lot more shit in our lives. There's a concept uh, described by uh, Huey P. Newton, one of the founders of the Black Panther Party, called Revolutionary Suicide. And before anyone thinks where I'm going, I'm not, don't want to hurt yourself, that, not that. It is contrasted against a concept called reactionary suicide. Reactionary suicide is suicide uh, brought about by despair with one's social conditions. Essentially, you give up. And I'll be honest, I don't think less or think ill of people who see their lives and look that's that's personal i wish they wouldn't i hope they don't but that's a that's a an issue of bodily autonomy and self-determination and i would not deny anyone those things but revolutionary suicide is a theoretical uh, death brought about by forcibly challenging the system and repressive agencies 
that might lead other people to commit reactionary suicide. It is a way of saying, if something happens to me, if I'm harmed, if I experience negative impacts on my life because of the system as it stands, it is because I refused to submit. It's because I refused to give in and pretend to be something that I'm not, pretend to acquiesce and accommodate the system that hates me. It's because I did my best to show people that I refuse not only a death of despair, but also refuse to not fight a thing that encourages deaths of despair. You lived loud and proud no matter what happened because you knew that by doing so, you were doing the right thing. I think we would benefit from kind of internalizing that concept because let's face it, viewing a system that views you as incompatible with it, as something that is a disease that must be rooted out as a problem and continuing to be the thing that system hates, when that system can bring to bear the powers of state and economy and military and violence against you, that is inherently suicidal by definition. I mean, really. So do it. Don't hurt yourself. Hurt the system. Be gay, do crime. <laughs> be who you are. Refuse to not be who you are. To quote an infamous publication that I like to post on my Discord every year and share to people whenever I can. A little thing called Toward the Queerest Insurrection. To be clear, we've despaired that we could never be as well-dressed or cultured as the Fab Five. We found nothing in Brokeback Mountain. We spent far too long shuffling through hallways with heads hung low. We don't give a shit about marriage or the military. But oh, we've had the hottest sex everywhere in all the ways we aren't supposed to. And the other boys at school definitely can't know about it. And when I was 16, a would-be bully pushed me and called me a faggot. I hit him in the mouth. The intercourse of my fist and his face was far sexier and more liberating than anything MTV ever offered our generation. With the pre-cum of desire on my lips, I knew from then on that I was an anarchist. In short, this world has never been enough for us. We say to it, we want everything, motherfucker. Try to stop us. <laughs>